0: Welcome to C3 Church Tugger. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. Because all that I am, Lord, will follow you all of my
1: days. No looking back, I've left behind my former way. so pleased to be here at C3T this morning, and uh, I, um, I bring greetings from uh, the church in Hong Kong and the Vine Church. In fact, we, we have two visitors here this morning. Um, Craig and Debbie actually used to live five minutes away from us in Hong Kong. Went to Kazakhstan, was it? Kazakhstan, now living in Australia. I think they've come a couple of hundred miles to be here. I don't think you ever, I don't think you ever came to visit us when we were five minutes away, but... Uh, Come and stand up with you guys, give you a round. Greg and Debbie. Ra- Rainer. Amazing. In case you haven't worked out already, I'm a pom. Okay. But what is. I thought about this last night. What is a pom living in Hong Kong doing here, preaching in the Central Coast? Now, you would have thought, you know, I was an old friend of Phil and Julie's. And actually, we've known each other eight days. Uh, and. Uh, it's been a great eight days, but uh, and uh, we went to Hong Kong um, really with the intention of staying there for three years. In fact, we, we visited Hong Kong in 1981. I, I was a businessman. My, my business was insurance. I, I, I'm actually still in insurance now, but I have a better product. It's called Eternal Life Assurance. Uh, amen. We, um, we went to 1981 uh, on, on a business trip, on a visit. Um, now, for those of you who don't know Hong Kong, Hong Kong is a city, but the population of Hong Kong is about the same as the population of New South Wales. So that puts it the context. We went in 1981, and Sandra looked down one of the streets, Nathan Road, and she said, I could never live here. Right? Uh, rule one, don't never say never, right? Because in 1987, I got a chance, an offer to go and work In Hong Kong for three years and um, I I went out to Hong Kong actually as the chief executive of a investment services company Um, my arrival in Hong Kong was the uh, was coincident with the 1987 stock market crash which the older ones will remember and uh, I spent three years really selling ice creams to Eskimos because nobody wanted investment after the uh, the stock market crash but we really felt that uh, we were to stay in Hong Kong and um, in 2003, uh, I, I quit my job. I was general manager of a company called AXA uh, to join the church full time. Um, I'd been doing the two things side by side, but um, our church had a vision and really needed a full-time senior pastor. So I put my hand up. I felt when God called us to the full-time uh, senior pastor position that He gave us four specific callings. I want to—I I could talk just about these, but I'm not going to this morning. But firstly. And I was so excited this morning because God called me to the church and not a church. I was so excited when you prayed for the churches of Central Coast. And to be honest, I want to pray now just for all the churches in Australia today because God is doing something. There's a promise, a smith Wrigglesworth promise over Australia, the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And when, when God's people come together in unity, something really happens. We were never, ever called to a church but the church. And we spend a lot of our time now bringing the churches of Hong Kong together in the city. God also said to us, I don't want you to build a church. I want you to do family. And uh, that's what it's really about. There's so many people starting the ministry by trying to build a church, get a bigger and better church, bigger and better buildings. But God just says, be family. What I see in front of me today is family. The third thing God said to me was, Hong Kong is the most strategic place in the world for the Christian gospel. Now, I've got to justify that. Hong Kong is on the gateway to China, which is the fastest growing church in the history of the world. Estimated 150 million plus Christians in China, and we're on the gateway. Hong Kong is the only place that those Christians can come out and have a conference and meet together. I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But Hong Kong is also on the cusp and the gateway to the international community. Um, Our church, for example, we did a survey, we have 60 different first languages in our church. So actually, the Great Commission can be rewritten. Don't go into the whole world. Let the whole world come to Hong Kong and share the gospel with them. And that's certainly how we feel. Sorry, I've just lost. And uh, the last thing, and really leads me to the subject I want to talk about today. God said to us, I want you to raise up future generations. Um, when I came into the full-time uh, senior pastor role, I was already 50 years of age, and um, God said, I want you to raise up a generation of of people. And and what we've done over these last 10 years or so is raise up a whole generation of pastors. And 16 months ago, we were able to pass over the church to a young man called Andrew, who I'd known since he was 12. He was at school with my son. And uh, he is now our senior pastor. And uh, Sandra and I are ambassadors, which is why we can be here on the Central Coast in the sunshine this morning. Actually, on the back is my natural family. I wanted to put this down for you because actually the the older gentleman there is Sandra's father. He became a Christian at the age of 68 and and helped build a church physically, uh, uh, bricks and mortar. And the picture there is of my five grandchildren that we have. So that's four generations uh, represented there. And really, I guess that's why I'm here today. That's why I believe God arranged this so-called coincident meeting in Noosa, and I believe that this is what the church in, in, in Terriga and the church in Australia needs to hear. The message I'm going to preach this morning is not something that you'll hear preached in churches very often, but I'm going to preach it anyway because I haven't got to come back next week. <laughs> I want to start off with a familiar verse, Malachi 4.6. Um Most people were aware of this. It's at the end of the Old Testament. And many people see this as really an an end times prophecy. The the Malachi was talking about what would happen at the, the end times. And I certainly feel that this is a prophecy for the 21st century. Malachi said this, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. You know something almost for the first time in history? We live in a fatherless generation. Do you know in, in, in Australia there are one million single parents, mainly single mothers, today? That's a big number. But today I'm not even going to be talking about, about, about single parents, I'm going to be talking about people who have parents, but the fathers are absent the fathers are distant you know what i mean they're sitting in the same room but they're not there i believe there is a charge upon the church today and something i want to put up, put to you today it's something i need to pass on you see when i was 17 years of age my father passed away and on the day that he died he called me in and his last words to me were these son I want you to take care of your mother. I sense Father God in the same way calling me in today and saying to me, Son, I want you to take care of my church. If we look at church history, you know, for the first 1,500 years of church history, it was very simple. The priests had all the power. You know, nobody had the Bible. Nobody had access to it. It was, it was a little bit of salvation by works. And then, blessing Martin Luther came along and the, the whole Reformation. And we learned about salvation by grace. Jesus Christ had come back to the center of his church. That there was no way anyone could be saved except through Jesus Christ. And then at the turn of the 20th century... We had a move of the Holy Spirit, which resulted in the, the Welsh revival, the Azusa Street revival, the, the birthing of the Pentecostal movement, which came into the charismatic movement. We live in the age of the Spirit. And I, I don't know about you, I love to be alive in the age of the Spirit. But what's been happening in the last 20 years or so, and I think it emulated, certainly from our point of view, uh, in terms of what was happening in Toronto. A lot of people talk about the Toronto blessing of 1994, but it wasn't the Toronto blessing. It was the Father's blessing. And someone like John Arnott was raised up to be like a, a, a daddy to the church. And uh, what we've seen in the last 20 years is that Father God has come back to his church. And we, we have been very blessed uh, to, to be able to have received that impartation of the Father's blessing and we, and we share it wherever we go. I want to give you a word of warning. Probably we will hug you before we leave today. Now if you want to leave now, go now. Okay, but probably we will hug you. Reason we hug you is this, as we put our arms around you, we stand firstly in the place of your human father who may not ever have done that to you. Where we live in Hong Kong, particularly Asians, very rarely do a, does a human father show any sign of affection. Very rarely does that father ever say, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're my son, you're my daughter. So what we'll do first and foremost is we'll stand in the place of maybe a human father who was unwilling or unable to do that. But secondly, as we put our arms around you, we are standing in the place of Father God who is saying, my son, my daughter, I love you, I'm proud of you, I want to care for you. This is a message that the church worldwide and the church in Australia badly needs to hear. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This verse talks about two things. Firstly, it talks about a pathway, And secondly, it talks about a destination. Derek Prince said this, Jesus is the way, but the Father is the destination. Now, you have to read my lips on this. You know, in Hong Kong, we have a railway system called the MTR. And if you want to ride the MTR, you have to go through the turnstile. You have to go through the turnstile, which is Jesus. People all, are, all over the world are trying different ways of doing this. You have to go through this. But the destination, the train that we are riding, is the Father. What Derek Prince said is the church has become stuck on the way. You know, Jesus always pointed to the Father, Jesus said, The Father is greater. John 5, 19, Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. Jesus had the closest relationship with his father. He said this, I and my father am one. I believe this, that the church today is missing the intimate relationship with the Father. I think it was St. Augustine who said this, if the written word of the Bible could be changed into a spoken word and become just one single voice, that voice more powerful than the roaring of the sea would cry out, the Father loves you. God has sent me 7,500 kilometers this day to tell you the Father loves you. I can sit down now. <laughs> I believe this, that Christianity, without experiencing and understanding the love of the Father, is missing its foundation. A key verse is Matthew eleven twenty-seven. 27 Jesus said, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's a very important verse, because what it says this, is that Jesus truly knew the Father. I mean, you look at the New Testament, you know, the disciples, Mary, his mother, none of them had any idea about the Father. But Jesus truly knew the Father. But he says, I can reveal him to you. The Father has to be revealed to us by revelation. Where I live in Hong Kong, people want to take a course for everything. They're always studying You know, you can't take a course. You cannot just desire. You cannot read a book about this. You know, when you were saved, it was by God's initiative, not yours. Praise God, you responded. You were filled with the Holy Spirit when His Spirit was revealed to your spirit. When you met Jesus... There were truths that were revealed to you. I'll give you an example. I 100% believe in the virgin birth. But ask me to explain it. I cannot. It is a truth that is revealed to me by God. When you were filled with the Spirit, you received a revelation of His power. In the same way today, God wants to pour out a revelation of himself. Now, I wish I had several hours. But what I want to do today, I want to, I want to give you a key. And the key is very simple. The key is opening our hearts. The key is surrender. Whatever you want, Lord, is okay by me you can trust god he is only good my message this morning is very simple god wants us to be sons and daughters and yet much of the church live as orphans Did you know that Satan was the original orphan? He rejected God as father. He chose to be fatherless. He became the original orphan. We are still suffering his rejection of Father God today. He is the source of something that we call the orphan spirit. Our world is an orphanage. I believe that the definition of sin is not so much missing the mark, but missing the father. Living as orphans. We see it everywhere around us. Oh, there was a lovely young lady in Hong Kong. I I, I do a businessman's breakfast once a month on on the roof of HSBC. It's on the 42nd floor. I don't think you have any 42nd floors around here. Uh, and we have a breakfast there once a month. And this young lady shared the story of when she was at school. And she, she, she got 97% in her math test. She was so excited. She ran home to tell her mom and her dad that she got 97% in her math test. And you know what dad said? What happened to the 3%? That is a parable of the world that we're living in. Is it no wonder when these people become Christians, they think they've got to get 100% for God? Yeah. They think they've got to do everything right? Last year, we had a conference in Hong Kong called, called uh, Kingdom Culture. Who here knows Bill Johnson? No, of Bill Johnson. Bill and Benny Johnson, Heidi Baker, and, and Tom Jones, not the singer, but the preacher, came, came along and... People go along to Bill Johnson expecting miracles. But actually what they got when Bill spoke, well first night was Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker spoke on the Father Heart of God. Bill Johnson spoke on the Father Heart of God. Betty Johnson spoke on the Father Heart of God. Tom Jones spoke on the Father Heart of God. Two weeks later, Cindy Jacobs was in Hong Kong. She spoke on the Father Heart of God. God, are you telling us something? And at the end of it, we had about 5,000 people there. I reckon 4,000 from mainland China. Now, the people from mainland China, they don't wait to the altar call. <laughs> they want to get prayed for. They are desperate. And I, I would reckon that Sandra and I prayed for, hugged a thousand mainland Chinese. They didn't want to leave us. You know, one lady said to us, she was a pastor. And she had never been hugged in her whole life. It got worse. I, I then it was a pastor in Hong Kong, a female pastor in Hong Kong, and said, could you you pray for me? Because my father, who is also a pastor, a very famous pastor, has never shown me any affection. This is the world that we're living in. It brings me to the conclusion that even the church is an orphanage. So what I want to do very quickly is tell you some things about orphans. Firstly, orphans have no name. What we see the orphan spirit in churches manifested in is people trying to create a name for themselves. I do something significant means I am significant. Whereas a son or a daughter finds their significance from their family, it leads to performance mentality. Where I come from, if they have two kids and one's getting grade A's and one's getting grade C's, they love the grade A's more than they love the grade C's. People say to us, Who's your favorite son? I say, We haven't got one. You must have one. Who's your favorite grandchild? Performance mentality comes in. I think schools in Australia called grade A's Asian F's, by the way. <laughs> I'm staying with some Koreans for the weekend, and their kids get A, and they they call them Asian Fs, you know. But what is happening also is the church, the church is full of servants. Nothing wrong with servanthood, but the church is full of people who are doing, 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 doing. The church is devoid of children who are being. Now, I'm speaking to myself here. Because you can see from my background, you can tell the sort of person that I am, and I I identify myself a lot with Pastor Phil. We're doers. We want to do things. I want to say today, the church is devoid of children. Stop doing, start being, because the church is just an orphanage. And I need to tell you this. If you need to do something to be significant, if you are driven, if you are looking for approval... I suggest that you probably struggle with an orphan spirit. The good news is that we'll pray for you afterwards. The second thing, orphans get no inheritance. It is difficult for people with orphan spirits to be generous. They have poverty mentality. They have scarcity mentality. I remember in the seventies with the oil crisis, like queuing up for half an hour, three quarters an hour to get into a gas station because there was so little. We thought all the oil in uh, you know, the Arab oil was running out. Scarcity mentality. I believe the key to generosity is being a son. Orphans have to fight to get their share. If you struggle to be generous, maybe we'll do the offering again, how shall we know? No, if you struggle to, to be generous, if you say, what is mine is mine, if you say, if I give you $10, that's $10 less, and that's my lunch money, you could be struggling with an orphan spirit. Thirdly, orphans get no presents. Christmas, birthday, it leads to looking after number 1 it leads to achieving not receiving anything do you have a problem receiving i'll be honest with you i had a real problem with receiving my my parents were very generous i praise god they made me a very generous person but i really was good at giving but poor at receiving Until I realized that, actually, when you give to someone, it puts you in control. When you receive from someone, it puts them in control. If you have problem receiving anything, you may have an orphan spirit. And the last one, I just saw this quite recently, actually, is that orphans have no roots. You know, uh, in Hong Kong, we have 1,200 churches. I used to say people change churches more often than they change their underwear. You know? and people always change. Oh, I'm not being fed, pastor. I'm going to this church. I'm going to that church. But it's the same thing with jobs. If you can't stick at a job, if you can't stick in a relationship, if you can't stick in a marriage, if you have problems sticking at anything, you might have an orphan spirit. I just want to encourage you to put down roots. You know, in fact, if I wasn't preaching about this today, I would have been encouraging you today to be planted in the house of the Lord that you might flourish. I want to return to Malachi. The church has a charge. The church has an entrustment. It can only be given after you receive the revelation. Now, to help me, I want to talk about the baptism of Jesus. Jesus. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'm going to firstly look at Mark chapter 1. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. What I want to do this morning is to use this passage, and especially the Father's affirmation of Jesus in verse 11, to get down to some truths that will affect every one of us. Now before I start, I want you to answer some questions. How many miracles had Jesus done before this? Do you know? None. How many sermons had Jesus preached? None. How many ministry trips had Jesus done? None. It's so important to remember that. As I see it, In the 21st century, especially in a place like Australia, there are three major crises that that constantly attack us. I'm not talking here about global financial crisis, uh, epidemics, or a threat of terrorism. But what is in deep crisis, however, is firstly our identity, who we are. So often our identity is found in our job and or our achievements. If I go to a party, people will say to me, Oh, where are you from? How long have you been here? What do you do? And what happens is people become Wayne Phillips, investment banker. Paul Davis, electrician. Or Shirley Jones, just a housewife. Just a receptionist. Stop it. No one here is just anything. I almost begin to resent going everywhere and being called Pastor John. Because pastor is my job, it's not my identity. The second thing that's under threat is our relationships. We have hundreds of Facebook friends. Praise God for Facebook. I wish you would have been here this morning, right? Thank you. That's wonderful. Hundreds of Facebook friends. We have acquaintances. In Hong Kong, we, we give out business cards. We call it a handsha- Hong Kong handshake. You know, you're going to shake someone's hand, you give them a business card. You know, we give out business cards. But all of this is at the expense of real relationships. We crave for real friends real relationships, to be loved and to be accepted, especially by those close to us. And thirdly, our purpose. Rick Warren and his book, Purpose Driven Life, sold 35 million copies, asked the question, what what on earth am I here for? We exist ourselves in a world today where very few people know why they exist. If we were to go down Central Coast today and do a survey and say, what is your purpose in life? I expect most people would look at us with vacant stares. Now during Jesus' baptism or graduation, his heavenly father identified three foundational truths that were essential to Jesus' public life and ministry. He acknowledged his his pleasure that his son had understood and applied these to his life. It appears that these three factors were central to Jesus' preparation. It may help us understand why it took Jesus 30 years to prepare for a three-year ministry. Ten times as long to sharpen the axe as the time spent cutting trees. I believe this is a lesson for you. And I just feel this morning it's, a, it's, it's an encouragement for you, Pastor Phil and Julie. You spent a long time sharpening axes. And I believe God would say that that time in preparation is not wasted. You haven't necessarily seen the results there and then of your work, but God has seen your labor. And I believe that the time that you have spent sharpening your axe, there will come a season when you will see the axe swing and God fulfill the promise. There are promises over you and promises over this church that you have seen that you have not seen yet with your physical eyes, but God says, I have spent this time in preparation. If it took Jesus 30 years to prepare for a three-year ministry, why do we want it to happen now? Lord, give me patience and grant it to me now is what I always pray. I hate doing talks on the fruit of the Spirit. I just do love, joy, peace, and the rest of them. (laughs) But let's have a look at the three primary foundation stones of Jesus' life and his ministry. They're all in verse 11. Number one, you are my son. Jesus had come to learn who his father was and what his true identity and value was from his father's perspective. Number two, whom I love. Jesus had a tested and proven knowledge of his father's love. His relationship with his father was secure. It was not based on performance. Thirdly, with you, I am well pleased. Jesus had learned that his primary purpose and motivation for life and ministry was bringing joy and glory to his father above anything and everyone else. Now, it's always interested me that immediately following this occasion, when Jesus was affirmed by his Father and anointed for public ministry, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one, Satan. It seems that in addition to those 30 years of rigorous preparation, a final phase of testing Was necessary. We read this at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Now, the interesting thing about this is to note what the temptations were targeting. And to help us, we're going to look at a slightly fuller account of this in Matthew's Gospel. Firstly, God had said, you are my son. He was dealing with his identity. Forty days in, he was hungry. The tempter said, look at the first word he said. If you are the son of God. Easy to miss these words, by the way. If you are the son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. God had just said, you are my son. Satan said, if you are the son of God. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Secondly, God had said to Jesus, you're my son whom I love. He talked about his relationship The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, Again, he says again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give His angels concerning you. They will lift up you in their hands so they will not strike your foot against a stone. According from Psalm 91, He is saying, If God loves you, He will send His angels. He was challenging his relationship with the Father. Thirdly, God had said to him, With you I am well pleased. His purpose. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the splendor. He said, All this I will give you if you just bow down and worship me. What he's saying is actually forget your purpose. Forget the cross. Forget the pain of the cross. I can give it to you now, the shortcut. Satan questions Jesus' identity, his relationship with the Father, and his purpose in life. And by doing so, tempts Jesus to prove his sonship and significance. I want to tell you, Satan's still doing that today. Satan's still doing that to you. He's tempting you to prove your sonship. He's tempting you to prove your worth, your significance. He pressures him to take things into his own hands by not waiting for the Father's leading or provision. But Jesus quoted Scripture, this time properly. Man shall not live by bread alone. Do not put your Lord God to the test. Worship the Lord and serve him only. He shows he he is secure in who he is. He is confident of his father's love and he's focused on pleasing his father above all else. By choosing not to give in to temptation in spite of his life threatening thirst and hunger. I only have a few minutes left. I want to spend... The last few minutes that we've got together, focusing on another very important person. You. I want to introduce you to someone this morning. I want to introduce you to the real you. You may be asking yourself, who am I really? What is my true value? How attractive and desirable am I? Will I ever find the depth of intimate love that I long for? Where do I belong? You may even come into church on a Sunday morning and say, do I really fit there? The truth is, we're impacted by four types of people, four things. We're impacted by what others think about us. We're impacted by what we think others think about us. We're impacted by what we think about ourselves. Or we're impacted about what God knows about us. The question is, which opinion dominates our thoughts? God is the only one who knows us truly as we are. Just as he said to Jesus, you are my son, I love you, I am pleased with you, his opinion about who we are is the only accurate and valid perspective of our identity and worth that exists. We can choose to believe my value is determined by who I am. My value is determined by what I do. My value is determined by the opinions of others. Or my value is determined by who I really am in God's sight and how much he loves me. I don't know what other people think about you. I don't really care. I don't know what you think other people think about you. Or even what you think about yourself. But God has sent me 7,500 kilometers today to tell you straight exactly what He thinks about you. All of this is from His Word. Can I ask you to stand as the band come back? The first thing I want to tell you is this, my brothers and sisters, is that you are accepted. In fact, can we just say it all together? I am, I I count of three, can we just say, I am accepted? Right? One, two, three, I am accepted. Because I want to tell you this, you are God's child. As a disciple, you're a friend of Jesus Christ. You have been justified. You are united with the Lord. You are one with Him in spirit. You have been bought with a price and you belong to God. You are a member of Christ's body. You have been chosen by God and adopted as His child. You have been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You are complete in Christ. You have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. You are accepted. Secondly, You are secure. Can we try again? One, two, three. I am secure. You are free from condemnation. You are assured that God works for good for you in all circumstances. You are free from any condemnation brought against you, and you cannot be separated from the love of God. You have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. You are hidden with Christ. You are confident that God will complete the good work he started in you. You are a citizen of heaven. You have been given, not given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You were born of God, and the evil one cannot touch you. You are secure. So you're accepted. You're secure. And I need to tell you this morning that you are significant. Let's try that. One, two, three. I am significant. You are a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine, and a channel of his love. You have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You are God's temple. You are a minister of reconciliation for God. You are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. You are God's workmanship. You may approach God with freedom and confidence. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are significant. My friend, you're accepted, you're secure, and you're significant. You are his beloved child, whom he loves in you. He is well pleased. I want you to discover these truths by knowing the one that clearly sees and realizes these realities already. He can and He will change your perspective of yourself and others if you will invite Him to take over as true Lord of your life and yield fully to His Holy Spirit. Are we ready to do that right now? I'm going to ask Sandra to come forward. Grab a microphone, darling. And bring us a word of encouragement. And then we're, going to, then we're going to pray for you. What I believe we're going to do this morning is we're going to come around. We're going to start. Sandra's going to start hugging the ladies. I'll start hugging the men. That's appropriate. If you, if you need a mom and a dad hug, please come to us. Quite often, actually, to be honest, ladies, sometimes you need a dad hug if you really need a dad hug and it's a woman hugging ask and, and we're not going go to go this morning until so everyone has the arms of the Father around
0: I just feel that the the heart that you have on your screen is a heart of love for the Father for the Father loves you with the fire of his heart he saw you in the beginning and he created you in his heart and his eyes he dreamt of you Each one of you is unique, and each one of you is loved by the Father. He wants to reach out and touch your arm, and then to your hand, and hold your hand tight and guide you. But today, I think he's just saying, I want to do a heart transplant into you. My heart goes into you today and you. There'll be a freshness of the Spirit as you go from here today. If you sit in his presence, he wants to do a healing in your heart today as well. There's many here that are really heartbroken. There's many here that are wounded. There's many here that are physically in need of healing. And he's saying, just sit with me and allow my love to overflow into you, through you. Put your roots deep and he will heal you to give a testimony of life, a fullness of life that goes on for eternity. I pray, Father, that you just come and you come to your children here now. You love them with an amazing love that we cannot express. We just need to feel it, know it in our knower, in our being. And he's just smiling over you now. He's just got his face looking down on you. If you're willing to just look into his eyes, you'll see the real father today. So, Father, just pour out your love. He's breathing life into you today. So, Father, just Breathe your Holy Spirit in here today. I bless you. I love you. I honor you. And Father, I just thank you for this big family. And I thank you for my worldly family that you have me in security. I'm in a secure place with you. And I pray that for the people here that are standing in your throne room now. So bless them and outpour your love on them, I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.